Welcome everyone to the 56th episode of the Do Gen Mindset podcast. I'm Dan Cozella here with Nick Tartaglia. What up, what's up man? Dude? What's up? What's up? It's um, well, I was gonna get straight to the point. This is gonna it's a it's a cool conversation we're gonna have today because um, well, first off, I haven't seen this guy in a lot. Well, I mean, prior to seeing him a couple of times, I haven't seen him. We went to elementary school together, so it's a small world. And uh, you, Dan, you also know him from a different period of your time. Yeah, well, and, look, uh, before, before before we get into it, uh, I think let's just set the tone, right? What what's happening, right? Supply chains are collapsing. Yeah, like, exactly. Christmas presents are going to be delayed. Um, we're in a market right now where uh, a container is twenty thousand dollars just to store things. Um, and what we wanted to do is bring somebody that's in that space and dealing with these problems on a day to day basis. Because exactly. I've, had, I've had a discussion with this with this gentleman. Uh, over the course of the summer, late summer, we sat down over a quick bite to eat and he was just telling me like, it's totally chaotic as to what's going on. Now we like to be more solution oriented too. um, whether or not this is the beginning of a much deeper issue is to be determined. But I mm-hmm. think Nick, all you have to do is look at inflation, man. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's like, like when people, when people said, yeah, you know what? It's a good idea. Let's shut down the economy as if the economy is some sort of just valve that you can just turn off. And then when you try to turn it back on, everything's going to go right back to normal. It's like, well, what did you expect would happen? You're going to cause supply problems. You're going to cause problems with importing and exporting. We've completely shifted our consumption mechanics as a society where the West is far more based on consumption than its production. So we have a lot more goods coming in from, from, the, uh, from, from Asia than we are producing ourselves. So that adds on to the bottleneck pressure of the importing and exporting industry. And then you just have complications left and right with everything. So it's like, it's a given, everything's going to get complicated. Yeah. So look, what, what I think we should do now, we'll introduce our guest because he's an absolute beauty. And Nick, you and I have known him for quite some time. Um, he's in the trenches of this. He deals with this every day. Um, so without further ado, uh, this gentleman's the founding partner of a company called Western Alliance, and he's combined his vision for exceeding customer expectations with a tactical approach to discovering opportunities that benefit all stakeholders involved. Um, he's overseeing a massive corporate operation uh, of a shipping and supply chain company. Um, he's also helped lead Western Packaging Solutions and Western Grain Trading Companies over the course of the last few uh, years and he's very focused on year-over-year growth. Very strong believer in maintaining a healthy corporate culture, and he believes that this is crucial to the success within any type of organization. Uh, welcome to the New Gen Mindset Podcast, Josh Sevi. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. So I know what Nick and I always like to do is kind of just ask our guests, you know, what brought you to where you're at today. What was that first thing? Just tell us a little bit more about that path, why you decided to get into the shipping business. Um, and we'll jump right into the whole world of chaos after. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, it's quite an exciting time to be in, well, I guess distribution, supply chain, pretty much anything that requires any international trade. It's, it's a difficult time, a lot of challenges, but with challenges come opportunities. Um, but yeah, I guess to, to give you guys a, a bit of a backstory, um, Dan, I think I actually probably met you from my first kind of venture, which was actually in events, uh, live events and the nightclub scene. And I built a small business and sold it uh, when I was 20. And then a friend of mine who is now my business partner, uh, he gave me a call 
and said, uh, hey, I heard you sold your company. There's a company that I work for. They're looking for <clears throat> sales rep uh, to focus on a product in the oil and gas space. You'd be acting as a trader. Um, interested. At the time, I was in school, didn't have much going on. I had just sold a small business. At the time, I thought it was all the money in the world, but turns out that it's not that much. And uh, went to work uh, with my friend. Um, his name is uh, Will Bennett, by the way, uh, co-founded the business with me. Uh, and worked there for about a year, year and a half, learned a lot um, about big business, corporate culture, uh, how trading works, uh, providing value add to customers, supply chain. And from there, we saw an opportunity in the agri space. Um, we're very focused on specialty agriculture products in the organic and non-GMO space. Uh, so saw a little, a little niche there, um, got together, decided we were going to start this up, you know, typical startup kind of story, made our sale day one in, you know, his parents' kitchen, uh, and kind of grew from there. Uh, that that business really took off, and from there, it kind of helped us get into our other businesses. Uh, one being a, a packaging, a flexible packaging company, and one being a transport company. And we got into those businesses because through the agri business, our customers were asking us for these packaging products. And having the business bug, we said maybe we can sell it to them and turn this into a business. And from there, we started to scale that side and then realized that most of the money in our business comes from the last leg up front or say the first leg, which is moving it from overseas. And then the last leg to our customer on the transport side. So we're pretty good at transport. Why can't we sell our services? So that got us into the transport business. Um, and they're obviously very, you know, a lot of synergies involved, uh, they all kind of collaborate on, you know, in a lot of different ways and we're able to feed off uh, each business. Our, our big strength is really sales. Um, we're very, very strong on that. When Dan mentioned year over year growth, we push our sales guys. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that they're in a position to win so that the company's in a position to win. And from there, we just kind of, I guess, dominated uh, our field. We have a lot of, a lot of stuff to do, a lot of room to grow, been doing it for six years six and a half years now, but we see a lot of potential uh, in all those spaces uh, over the next 10, 20, 50 years. So we, we intend to make a bigger name for ourselves, but to give you kind of a backstory, that's where we are. And uh, that's kind of how we got here. So what's interesting to note, and I just want our listeners to understand is that you really deal with the value chain supply chain of multiple businesses, right? <coughs> and in that supply chain, there's a specific breakdown. You're kind of like that last 3PL, if I understand, and 3PL is third is through a third-party logistics. So maybe you could just could, could you explain how that works, yeah. just so, so so the listeners can understand. Yeah. So third-party logistics is basically uh, we're a broker, so we connect, or I wouldn't say the word connect. I would say that we find an opportunity to ship your goods through a transport trucking company. I'll say they own the asset; we don't we find the load for them to move. So if Dan wants to ship, uh, you know, 500 calculators to Nick's office in Michigan, he'll call someone like us and we'll deal with it. We'll make our spread and we'll deal with the trucker not showing up, the trucker getting there too early, problems at the border. Um, but a big part of our job is selling to Dan, getting him uh, the most competitive price and then winning that business. Uh, it's, it's actually a very archaic business in the way that it's built. You would think that with 
modern technology in the iPhone that people would be able to go more direct to truckers. But the reality is that it's a very detail-oriented business and most people don't have the infrastructure to deal with that. That's really our value. Um, and that's in a lot of different ways. You know, on our, on our, on our trading and our, our grain side, it's the same thing. We find a lot of opportunities through transport. If we find good trucking prices, we can win business because someone else didn't shop as hard. And there's all these ways where you can save money through, you know, different warehousing. You know, you can send things through rail or by air or all these different ways. Um, and if you're good, that's where you can make a lot of money in the supply chain. Um, it's very hard. It takes a long time to build, but that's really what we're in. We're, we're here to find value for our customers and then find the most efficient way to move their goods. Just, just to give more of a little uh, macro perspective of the operation, what countries do you typically work with or like what continents do you deal with? Yeah, so um, we do a lot for our transport company specifically. That's all uh, North America based, uh, mainly US and Canada, a bit with Mexico. Uh, for our agri and plastics business, uh, that you're going a lot to South Asia, India, China, Vietnam, uh, Thailand, we're working more with. Uh, South America, we've done some stuff with very challenging place, um, but our strength is really South Asia. That's really where we, uh, we built a good understanding. And I think that we understand the culture a bit better than some other regions. What, and what, uh, what commodities specifically do you guys deal with a lot in terms of your agriculture? Yeah. So in the agri side, um, it can vary year to year, uh, it can vary crop cycle to crop mm. cycle. Generally, you'll see a lot of wheat, soy, corn, a variety of oil products, uh, some different canola products, flax products. Um, like I said, it really depends. Some years there's a good crop of, you know, wheat. So people will switch from, you know, corn to wheat, uh, depending on the price. Certain regions will have a good crop, but it turns out that the protein on that soy is too low to use. So you'll have to go elsewhere. So we're in a very niche space. Uh, most people in commodities, they think agri, they think of Chicago board. Uh, our industry is very, very specific. Uh, so we'll use the board for certain things, but the board is more of a general indicator. It doesn't really determine our bottom line price. Um, very, very much arbitrage oriented, more than a standard commodities trader would, uh, would see it. It's funny because like every time you and I have spoken, I, I the first couple of times and you told me about your business, I always just assumed you were like a commodities trader. But then you explained to me like, well, wait a minute, I'm actually in the, the shipping and the, the, you know, the brokerage business of like transportation. So that's kind of where the line gets kind of blurred sometimes. And I think with trading too, um, it's not just buying and selling futures contracts on different commodity prices. It's literally booking different loads uh on, on different for, for for different clients all over the world um really interesting business um i don't know personally i don't know anyone in my friend circle that's in this business um so you're kind of like the one guy that i like to talk to about this but let's let's shift our focus right now to what the hell is going on i mean 2020 good was question um, <laughs> yeah. well let's let's backtrack we'll start with 2020 i mean We've been sounding, Nick and I have been sounding the alarm on inflation uh, since the, the, the Fed decided to raise ra uh, lower rates back down to zero. We knew that was going to have significant economic consequences. Um, that's obviously wiped out a lot of businesses. You've clearly survived. So mm -hmm. tell yeah. us what that was like. Yeah. So 
in commodities in my business, in both the packaging business and in the, the agri business, when you sell to a customer, you're usually selling out anywhere from, you know, four months to a year out. And that's because you need to place the order, build the product, get it on the water, get it into the US or Canada, and then distribute it. So if you're selling to a customer six months into the future, you're kind of guessing the prices of product, fuel, international freight. What was happening is we're seeing this crazy, crazy increase in freight costs. And our biggest challenge is managing the situation. It's extremely difficult. Um, and there is no right answer. We're doing everything we can. Uh, but at some point, if you're assuming $2,500 for a, you know, uh, a movement from, I don't know, China into uh, Michigan, and the price goes to 18000 I mean, our margins aren't that big. We can't sustain hits like that. Neither can our customers. So we're kind of in a position where we're doing our best and everyone is doing their best and it's slowly getting to the customer. And by customer, I mean the end user, people like us going to the grocery store, people like us, you know, going to this, you know, wherever, buying clothes, whatever it is. Basic good consumption. Basic goods. And it's slowly getting there, but everyone is really scared to be the first to increase their prices. In my opinion, we haven't even seen it start. I mean, the average, I believe the average container, the value is worth about $50,000. So if you take that into perspective, if containers used to be, you know, two, three, four thousand bucks, and they go to 20, 25,000, there's a big gap. That, that product that used to sell for a buck, not selling for a buck anymore. There's no way. And we've been seeing a slow shift from manufacturer all the way overseas to distributor, to second distributor, to the guy that puts it together, to the Walmart, and then it gets on the shelf, whatever it is. At some point, everyone's taking hits, right? We're, we're, we're not making any money doing this and everyone's in the same boat. But at some point, we can operate with this in mind and everyone is doing it. Everyone's freaking out. Some companies are stronger than others. They've been around, they've got tons of equity, they've got bank support. But small businesses, I mean, we're, we're lucky. We're, we're, not, we're not a small business, but I know people that have, you know, five, six employees and they're in distribution and they, they can't sustain a hit like this. It's, it's unmanageable. We're, we're having a hard time. We're, we're very good at what we do and I'm happy to have a great team behind me, but not everyone's as good as we are. But these supply chains are a nightmare. I, I don't know when this is going to end. Every month, every month, every day I have a call with my team overseas and the price of containers go up. Mm-hmm. what's it out and right it's now? just not stuff <laughs> depends where you're shipping but but like average i mean globally. let's say for like a 40 foot container twenty five thousand, yeah. twenty us dollars <laughs> i just want to give me a little comment for the um for the viewers for people listening in terms of just going back to the mechanics of economics is when we talk about inflation you have to look at the behavioral inputs of all these processes that go into why the end goods of services or, or whatever good you're purchasing is going up. It's because of significant issues like this, that they prop up prices. And then when we talk about things like, well, why is it that small and medium businesses are struggling while big companies are thriving? It's because of these very mechanics. We are complicating our economies and we're making it much more difficult for competition to thrive. Therefore, people at the bottom of the chain have it hardest and people at the top of the chain will have it the easiest. 
So the well, typical things you're talking about, just on general, just for people, just on general yeah, landscape. For sure. Well, Nick, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm seeing a lot of the massive corporations. They're not taking this, you know, BS from the steamship lines. They're going their own route. They're starting to buy their own vessels. They're yeah. going to take it. And I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, they're going to control their own, yeah. like they're going to vertically integrate more than ever. Yeah, 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 I mean, 100%. I, I was looking at Zim, uh, the shipping company in 2019, I believe they had, it's about three and a half billion in revenue and they made a net income of $6 million in 2020. They did 4 million, 4 billion in revenue and they made 600 million of net income. Wow. So that's a hundred years worth of income in a year. They're not going to stop. This is incredible. They've never yeah. made money like this. Like you borrow, you can, now stop? you borrow. Yeah. And look, uh, I mean, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but there's about <laughs> six or eight major steam ship lines out there. You're telling me they're not talking to each other. I understand that there's rules and regulations, but let's be honest, guys. When you're, when you're dealing with this type of money, yeah. why would they drop their prices? Yeah. It, when it you have, when you have, I mean, typically in market cycles and economics, you have when markets become complicated the way they are right now, where it's harder for small to thrive and larger for big to easier for big to thrive. You, you'll, you'll see people work down the value chain and start buying out businesses in order to have more control and improve their margins, especially in an inflationary environment where you want to take care of your margins. So merging and acquisition is a typical pattern you'll see in these type of environments, and they well, can well, borrow well, much cheaper too. The big guys. I think what we're seeing too is there was, there's going to be a lot of consolidations now mm-hmm. because during this challenging time, people find efficiency. That's yeah. what they do. We're doing it. Everyone doing it. They have no choice. And if you don't do it, you will be gone. You will not survive a year. So you need to find those efficiencies. And these big companies have a huge advantage. Not only do they have capital to burn, mm-hmm. but they have the opportunity to hire the best people now. I mean, the job market is wild. They're taking the best people and they're overpaying them. Yeah. Small and medium businesses can't do that. I, yeah. I can't overpay people for a year and then get rid of them. Like that's that's not how yeah. it works for us. Yeah. So it's it's very hard. And it's easy because they can also reborrow in this environment very easily at cheaper rates. Oh. So they can fix up Hence. their balance sheets. It's easy for them to fix up their balance sheets in this environment. Mm-hmm. That's uh what 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 has been and you know we, again, we, we, we talk about this all the time. I mean, like the fact that you have shipping containers now stuck at ports is only inflating costs even more, right? So mm-hmm. for you guys in your core business, right? How has that affected you? Like going back to 2020, right? You I would imagine there was a period where, let's be honest, you thought the business was, you guys were almost done, right? And mm-hmm. during that time, like what, what was going through your mind? What did you do and how did you get to where you're at right now? And what's sort of the next step? So it's, it's all about, um, I'll say managing expectations. Um, look, people are not stupid. They know what's going on. I'm a customer and I'm, I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm, I'm a customer, but I also sell. So I understand the situation. So I think that everyone is being as reasonable as they can. I think that people are working with us as we're working with our suppliers. And I think that the biggest, I guess, biggest challenge that we've had to fix and that we are fixing is making sure that people that we service will be around next year and they'll be around for a few years. We're, we're doing everything we can. And it's the same with our suppliers. They're doing everything they can. 
In this environment, there are certain companies that are making money hand over fist. What we're doing is we're doing our best to ensure that we're going to be around for the next decade. That is our focus. We're not here to, you know, find all these crazy opportunities in the market because our business and frankly, the whole industry that we're in isn't there. We're in a position where we need to make sure that our customers are, are treated like our partners and that they know that. And uh, without going into too much detail, that's what we've been doing. We're oh, focused on making sure. Yeah. We want to make sure that they're going to be around in a year and we're finding all these opportunities to keep them around, to keep them running. We're not playing games and pretending we don't know what's going on. We know what's going on. So I'd say that it's finding efficiencies to help them. I, like you said, I think it comes down to just relationship, right? It's all about relationship. Very much so. Especially in this, because there's obviously guys in your space that are out there to make a pretty penny. Um, and then they actually end up hurting the relationship long-term. So, uh, well, or they kill perfect, off their customer. Amazon's a perfect example of this. You know, focus on the client. Eventually the business sustains and holds and you do better and better over time with that because you want people to stay with you. If people don't stay with you, your business is not predictable. You can't sustain yourself. You're especially in this, in these environments, you want that relationship because it's going to help bring some stability to the chaos of your environment right now. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. We have had to, to go to customers and say, Hey, look, the situation is so bad. Can you help us? And a lot, if not all of our customers have said, yes, let me see what I can do. And that's the relationship I think we've created uh, in a lot of our businesses, especially on the supply chain side. When it becomes so unreasonable, people listen. When it first started to happen, we were taking the hit without saying anything. But when a container goes from 2000 to 20,000 and the price of a commodity doubles overnight or overnight within the span of three or four months, uh, I mean, guys, if, if you want to let me get hurt, I can, but then I'll never be able to service you. And then let's be honest, you're never going to get your product. So that's, you know, it's, it's been challenging. Like I said, I have a great team behind us. We're very fortunate that we're here and we're still going to be around for the next, you know, long while, but that's because we were very focused on the customer. I think that a lot of people who aren't are going to get hurt later on. You know, they maybe made a quick buck, but in life, as we know, if it's, you know, if it comes too quick, it's just something probably wrong with the situation. So that's, so, that's kind of what our, uh, what our focus is. That, that's so interesting because I mean, that is the philosophy, right? That unfortunately is being neglected just because of the whole social media BS that we're seeing globally. Um, we're, our, our generation's guilty of instant gratification, which, okay, it's fine. You know, I get it. Like we, we want to be able to enjoy certain things, but uh Talk about, and if you're allowed to, obviously, as, as, as much information as you can, because I'm just going to ask you a very client-oriented question, but talk about, can you talk about a situation where uh, a client was kind of pissed off or, I don't know, there was a rough patch in the road, uh, and in that situation, you were able to hash out a deal, but it wasn't, to, it wasn't a deal where it was like, hey, I actually made money off it, or it was profitable right. or something like that, but you knew that over the course of the long term, that is going to nurture that relationship. Can you talk about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I won't go into too much detail, but yeah, we've seen this. Uh, in fact, I could say, you know, specifically in our, in, in our flexible packaging business, um, a lot of our customers... You know, some are new, some haven't been with us too long, some have been with us for half a decade. And, you know, I think generally speaking, like I mentioned before, when the problem is so big that you have to call your customer and say, look, I'm screwed here. That's really when people 
understand because it's so unreasonable. And this whole thing is crazy. I mean, the fact that containers went up four, five, six, seven hundred percent, we've we've never seen this in history. And it's almost better because you can have a real conversation when it's so extreme. When it's a small amount, as a trader, as you know, someone in sales, you you absorb the hit. You don't go to your customer for five bucks. You you speak to your customer when it's when it's crazy. And I think that our customers have been great. Um, you know, of course, some situations are more challenging than others, but we're super lucky uh, to have worked with the people that we have, and you know, built the relationships that that we've built. And going forward, we're we're hoping to continue servicing all of them in the capacity that we have prior to the pandemic, and hopefully post once we can stop wearing masks uh, where we go. But some what's like obviously you 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 deal with a little more firsthand. Like, can you talk about some of like the the, the porting issues that you're seeing, the type of problems you're noticing? either yeah. prior coming in now and going forward? Because obviously it's a huge component into how the distribution goes out after. Yeah, so um, we're seeing a big delay on um, timelines of containers. And one of the other issues on top of the delay is we actually don't know when they'll arrive. So typically with you use these, these big ship lines, they'll tell you, hey, it's a 45-day sailing. They're, they're not guaranteeing sailings anymore. I have product that's been sitting on the water for 120 days. Oh, I was expecting that to arrive at a certain time. And you look online, you try to track your stuff. It's not clear. It's really bad. No one knows what's going on. And it's chaos. Some of the big guys, I'm sure they have better systems than we do. But for us, I mean, we're pretty on the ball. I've got a team in India. They don't even know where half the stuff is. Aside from that, when COVID started getting bad, Overseas, we work a lot with India, and they had a severe, severe issue with the Delta variant. I mean, plants were shut down. We had orders with manufacturing plants, and they basically told us, we have no workers, and you're going to have to wait. And that was very hard, because not only did we place orders and tell our customers they were going to arrive, we were planning for things to arrive by a certain date. When they didn't, we were finding alternatives. I mean, one of the challenges was finding the alternatives but it was kind of a positive and I'll maybe spin in a good way. Hmm. When the challenges are so big, you force yourself to go and grow. So we now explored Vietnam and Thailand, uh, Cameroon, a lot of different regions. We're exploring Africa now. We would have never done this if we didn't have these supply chain issues. So I always try to look at the positive in things. I know it's very little positivity in COVID, um, but for us, we consistently saw these delays and we're still seeing it. A lot of the answers to my customers and to my suppliers is, I don't know. I will share the data that I have as quick and as efficiently as I can, but I don't want to lie to you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if I tell you something now, I'm just lying. So every day I'll give you an update, but it's probably going to be different when it finally arrives. And that's the issue that we're facing, the unknowns. But they're and aware, they, under, they understand why we're in this position. Like they're aware that it's just a global issue. It's not just you or the problem. It's a, it's a global economic issue. Oh, hundred percent. And like I said, I'd say almost all of our customers have been very understanding, but of course they have people that they need to service. Mm -hmm. And at some point, if their customers aren't being serviced, they're getting yelled at. Mm -hmm. And then they call me and they're upset and it's, it's understandable, mm -hmm. but it's not anyone's fault that the government's shut down. Yeah. And actually, this is where it gets very tricky. We've, we've had this conversation because we, we're not planning on using force majeure or any of those things. 
But what we've seen is, is this really force majeure? Because that's a God-given act. Is the government shutting down a country a God-given act? It's a very hard argument to make. And a lot of lawyers I've spoke to, just friends and, you know, colleagues, they don't know. They've never been through this. Is this a God-given act? And define what a God-given act is, because I can make a good argument both ways. So we'll find out if uh, these things get further, but uh, that's what I've heard. It's very challenging. It's, it's, yeah. we're, getting, we're, getting, we're getting philosophical here because I mean, that's, that's just the reality of the situation is like, can a country legally shut down an entire ecosystem and then take away the livelihoods of people? Because that's really what we're dealing with at the end of the day, right? And Correct. I find this is, the, this is the fine line right now that I think most people that don't understand that have probably never even read a charter, unfortunately, and that's 80% of the population, um, don't realize the difference between a law and a mandate and a law that actually inhibits on someone's ability to make a living, mm-hmm. right? That is your human right at that point. It, so right. I, just, I just wanted to bring that up and I, I'm sure you have a lot to yeah. say about that, Josh. Well, yeah, think about it, man. It's people don't realize this. If you like the whole back to the issue, we're like, again, we're back in this position where people are now worried about all this inflationary problem and all these prices going up. But it's like a lot of you people supported the shutting down of economies, shutting down of businesses, complicating the labor market, uh, shifting the mechanics of uh, consumption and production. Because the West is much more of a consumption society now than it was two years ago, that puts a lot more pressure on the on the, on the Asia that uses up a lot more containers than ever before. So that creates to the bottleneck as well. So it's like a lot of these inputs are very going back to right that you shouldn't shut down economies. These are human life. People need their jobs. People need to sustain themselves. A lot of these problems economically and socially would be, have been avoided if we hadn't played this, because I do refer to this as a no man is my God. You should not be shutting down the economy or the job on me because then you decide that whether or not I work or how I work or when I work. Well, uh, I, I think there's a lot of after effects too, which people didn't realize. I mean, if we're, if, if you look at the labor market, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we have 20 positions, maybe not 20, maybe 10, 12 positions open. I mean, I get applicants, not many. Um, I was walking down the street the other day to my friend's house and I, these three girls were walking near me and I heard them talking about how they're all quitting their jobs. So I stopped them and I said, ladies, can you tell me why you're quitting your job? I know this is kind of abrupt, but I'm very curious. Yeah. And their answers were the same. Market research. We don't need money. Market research. We don't need money. Money's not an issue. And we don't like our jobs. So I said to them, okay, the money, I get it. It's fine. If your, your parents are supporting you or you're young and you live at home, but you don't like your job. That's fine, but are you going to like your next job? And they all looked at me and were kind of pondering. They were like, it's a good point. Like, how do you know you're going to like your next job? Just because you don't like it, you're just going to quit? I mean, you guys are, they were maybe 23 or 24 years old. And they just quit their job. And it's like, this is all shifting. This is all new. And I, as a business owner, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to navigate here. But there's, there is no rule book for this. I mean, everybody got used to staying at home. Mm-hmm. And it was so fun. It was great. Working from home is great. Doing Pilates at noon is great. But is that what the new world is? Mm. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm learning. I'm trying to adapt and I'm trying to make my employees happy. But I mean, it's been a challenge. This whole thing has created a lot of effects. And I think it's just starting. I think that mm-hmm. we're going to see a lot of changes. And yeah. I don't know, for better or for worse, I don't know yet. But it's 
the whole market's going to shift. Well, I think it, I think it's also just the psychology is just shifted too, right? Even from an investment standpoint, like kids, kids who are younger than us think that making, you know, 170,000% on Shiba Inu coin is like normal, you know? And it's sort of like that same mindset, which is like, Hey, like I could sit at home, collect a paycheck from the government and that's chill. You know, these have unintended consequences that people are not seeing right now, you know? So I guess when you're hiring these, when you're looking to hire people right now, like what are, and I don't know, maybe you're, maybe there's an applicant, potential applicant that's listening to this right now, but like, what is it that you're looking for in, in, in an applicant? Well, I guess it depends on the role, but for me personally, whenever I am trying to fill a role, look, experience is important, but I look for someone who has the ability to do two things, or I should say have two core values behind them, that they have passion, someone that has passion. And in the interviews, I usually ask, is there something you're passionate about? And if the person says no, it's probably going to be hard for them to get on board. I mean, we're a, we're a small business. We have 50 odd employees. We're not, we're not big. We want to get big. But in order to get big, we need passionate people. This is the beginning of something. If we're, if we're going to have people who aren't excited about it, it's going to be hard to, to grow. And the second thing, I just look for raw intelligence. I mean, are they asking good questions? Do they want to learn? Are they interested in the business? Did they do the research before? You know, experience to me is important, but I'm looking for someone that can think. And I've interviewed a lot of people. It's hard to find those people. Maybe I'm a bit picky, but there's some really talented people out there. And there's some people who aren't very talented. And the job market is changing. You need to be sharp. But then again, 2021, you just got to have a pulse. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty much there, but I'm building a company with sharp people. I think everyone that we bring on is sharp. And for me, it's important. Raw intelligence and passion. You got me at 80%. That's what I'm looking for. What's that other 20% just hard work and grit and ability to just power through the tough times. Yeah. I'm, you know, I think that someone who's intelligent will figure out how to work hard. I think someone with passion will, will learn to hopefully be passionate about what we're doing. I think I try to inspire that with all my guys. Um, look, experience does matter for certain roles. I like to have someone who, you know, especially in, you know, an operations role who isn't brand new to operations, unless we're hiring for a junior role. But if you're talking about, you know, more senior roles or um, roles that require more expertise, I think working somewhere before and having a bit of corporate cultural experience, professionalism is really important for me. Um, having the right attitude overall, uh, being a positive person. I don't think people want to work in toxic environments. They want to work with people who are happy to be there. Um, and look, work is not always easy. Not everybody loves their job, but our job is to make you love your job. And if we can do our best, I think most people can kind of get on that train. We, we spend a lot of, a lot of our energy on making our, our people enjoy what they do. Um, so yeah, it's just, do you have those little, you know, being professional and, you know, showing up on time and, not, not being rude to your coworkers because you need to collaborate. This is a team guys. Don't, don't work in your own bubble. If you want to do that work as a, I don't know, a programmer in a little firm, like stay at home in your bubble. Like we're a, we're a supply chain company. We need people who are passionate and collaborative. What's um, because obviously you said you had other components of your overall operation. So tell us about like the packaging side of it. How does that work? And how do you go about that component of that business? Yeah. So, uh, packaging is actually, um, you know, I don't want to say my, my favorite, 
because I'd be biased because I'm spending a, a lot of my time on it. Um, but I really love that business. I think that it has huge potential to scale. Um, we've spent a lot of time not perfecting because I don't think anything ever gets perfect, but our, our training platform is great. Um, we have a great corporate culture. Um, I think people really enjoy coming to work. We are very in office. I'm, I'm in the office right now. Big believer in working from the office, especially for people in sales. Um, but what I really like about that business is that it has some very archaic kind of systems to it where uh, people like to work with their suppliers based on relationships. And we've been able to get in the door with a lot of customers because we're very strong in sales. So we, we, we don't do that many face-to-face meetings. We're very on the phone, but our value add is very strong. And I think that we've built a very nice um, value add in the supply chain without going into too much detail. Um, that's a very, it's, it's a business that doesn't require you to be a rocket scientist. And that's what I like about it. I don't like changing things. I like taking things that are there that are inefficient and finding the efficiencies. That's really my skill. And in, in this old, old business, been around for 50, 80 years, there has been innovation, but where the inefficiency lies is where we're strong in. So I think that's really where our, uh, our well, my excitement comes from. Our, our supply chains are great. We've been you know growing product lines, uh, entering different industries, growing our sales force, um, we're, we're pretty bullish on that, uh, on that business. What keeps you up at night? I don't know if I want to say on camera, but, uh, <laughs> um, what keeps me up at night? Cause you so, are a business owner, right? And this is, yeah. this is, I, I like asking a lot of people that particular question. Um, I don't mean to put you on the spot, a good question. But, I think, but, but I think I am, but, um, what it does is it, it just, every business owner, every entrepreneur that's out there has one thing that keeps them up at night. And anytime I've heard somebody yeah. say, yeah, the one thing that keeps me up at night is my wife. Okay. They've done something right in their life. Right. <laughs> but I'm curious to, I'm just curious to hear what, what you have to say. I guess it's, uh, it's the fact that the financial markets are out of control and everybody is in positions where they're making more money than they deserve. What happens when this ends? Mm-hmm. Because when plumbers are making double what they normally make, they go buy cars that they can't afford and they, re- and they mortgage houses they can't afford. Sir, you're not worth double. That's the reality. A plumber is not worth $350 an hour. But that's what the market's paying. And that's what they think they're worth now. And it's like every job out there, people are being paid and it's getting crazier, gradually more than they're worth in a standard market. But this will end. This, this can't go on forever. And when you can't make your Mercedes payments, because you shouldn't have a Mercedes, or when you bought a house that's 1.2 million, but you should have bought a house that's 460,000, this is going to be scary because it's all going to happen at once. I don't know what happens, but I know it's going to happen. So- People need to be very weary of what they're worth in the market and if you're making more money than you should now, you better save it. Don't go out and buy stuff that you probably shouldn't be. I guess that kind of sums up my worry. It's kind of general, but I don't know if that so, makes sense. But So let's, let's take it a little more personal to you rather than the business component. How, like talk a little bit about more of your investment philosophy, how you go approach investing your capital and the type of things you like personally in terms of how to invest. So I'm a, I'm a simple man. I guess you could say I'm a, an old soul. I love real estate. 
for many reasons. Um, I think it hedges you against inflation. I think that historically, if you buy in good cities and you're, you're in a position like I am where you're you know, young and you've got a lot of years to go, if you're intelligent about the way you're investing and you don't get too leveraged, I think that real estate is a great place to put your money. Um, I think that some of the areas in private business are getting good. I think that there's great opportunities um, to bridge the gap between you know, retail buyers and the private sector. I think there's a lot of opportunities now where you can go and find people who are growing companies and you're not going to have to pay multiple of, you know, I don't know, 50 times in order to get in, to get involved, where you can sit down with the CEO or have a zoom with him and say, you know, sit down and say, Hey, look, I'm looking to raise some money. I'm looking for X dollars. Um, but this is my business plan. Come see my office. Let's talk. Let's have a coffee. I think that that is getting small. I really like that concept. In fact, I invested in a small business uh, about maybe 18 months ago. Um, and I speak to the CEO once a week and I'm not a pestering investor because I'm in business. So for me, I understand his challenges and I mean, I'm not on the, I'm not on the board, but I like to stay involved. And I think that if you can find those opportunities, that's a great place to put your money. Um, look, am I in the financial markets a little bit? Um, do I have Bitcoin and Litecoin and Dogecoin? No, I think that personally, I don't understand it. I think there's value in it. I don't really like to invest in things that I don't get. I have a lot of friends that did very well with these coins and they're doing very well with NFTs and I'm very happy for them. I don't understand the value and I've had deep conversations with them and I think my arguments are good, but I think that they dismiss them and that's fine. They could make it huge and I could be missing out on big opportunities. But I would say that my own business is really where most of my investment is real estate. And then if you can find opportunities in the private sector, where you don't have to be involved on a day-to-day, where you trust the CEO, where you trust the executive team and you see a vision there, I think that's where there's going to be great opportunities. I mean, a lot of these companies going public, the multiples are insane. <laughs> Why would you put your money there? I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Well, especially on the secondary market once it goes public because the initial investors <sighs> already got in at like, you know, a 40% discount from where it starts trading. And that's, that's kind of the psychology too, that uh, you're hitting the nail on the head, which is basically, hey, when the music stops, which it will, I think it probably will by the end of next year, just based on the way the macros are lining up and the site, the commodity cycles and the supply chain shortages that we're, that we're seeing. But, uh, you know, when, when the music does stop, who's going to, who's still going to have their pants on, right? That's, that's the ultimate thing. And I, and I like that psych, psychology that you have, which is like, listen, I got to focus on me. I got to focus on the people around me. I got to provide for them and I got to provide for myself and I got to grow this thing long-term. I can't be thinking about, you know, the, the next 18 months, right? I got to be thinking long-term, right? So uh, I, I just think that's really interesting. Focus well, is a big one, right? Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, at some point, I mean, I don't know what, what Bitcoin's trading at today. It's like at 68,000. It's around 67,000. What's the mark? What, what's, what's the mark cap? A trillion one? Three, I mean, three oh, trillion now? No. It's big. It's three know, trillion it, it's now. A, it's a lot. Think, Some, something absurd. I mean, it's worth more than Amazon? Is that, is it, does uh, that roughly, make, like, yeah. Th- like, does that make sense? Okay. Could there be an argument for it? Yes. But in my mind, it doesn't do anything that valuable. I think that if you're buying a company, and you're buying employees and ideas and inventory and receivables and all of this value. Okay. 
I could maybe argue that Amazon is worth what it's worth. It'd be a hard argument, but I don't like, is Bitcoin going to go to a hundred trillion dollar market cap? I mean, at some point it's, it's just, it gets ridiculous. It's like the housing market. At some point, people won't be able to afford houses. They can't keep going up. There's no argument for this unlimited growth. At some point, people's bank accounts can't sustain it. It just won't work. So I'm kind of under the impression that we're going to see things start to dip. I don't know when it's going to be, Dan. It could be in a year from now. It could be in five years from now. And I, I could be missing out on a huge game. But I spend a lot of time in my business. I take a lot of risk there. Personally, I'm okay to spend you know, my, my time watching my own stuff. I, I can't be speculating that aggressively in all these other products. Um, some people can. It's not for me. I think there is value in it if you understand it and you have the stomach for the risk. But I think that there's more of a gambling mentality going on than an actual investor mentality in the market right oh, now. I mean, you can buy anything and you make money. Well, 100%. So, look, in tip, no, go ahead, Dan. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, like, I'm, I'll be honest, like when I'm, when I'm day trading or swing trading, like there are some plays that I have that are speculative in nature, but I stick to sort of that thesis. But what I like about what you just said is just like, listen, you got to focus, you got to focus on what you're doing, right? And ignore all the other distractions that are coming in. The funniest part, I'll, I'll give an example. I, I had a call with a friend. He calls me up. He's like, Hey, did you see this coin like RSU? And I'm like, I have no idea. And he looks at me and he goes, how do you not know this? Aren't you in the space? I'm like, dude, do you realize how many coins or how many projects are out there? You think I have time to read all that stuff? I'm focused on what I'm supposed to be doing day to day, right? And I find that's the thing that kind of gets carried away now with society. Excitement. It's just like, you, got, you just got to be everywhere. And if you're not part of the hot thing, you're missing out. And it's totally wrong. Yeah, right. I, th I think, yeah. Well, Sorry, look, you have it, you have, look, you have it from a behavioral standpoint. You have plenty of things that validate exactly what you said. Zero interest rate drives people to want to borrow and use capital to make returns off of it. That's one component. Inflation. Inflation always drives people to try to reallocate capital to hedge their inflation. So you have this environment now where people are trying to race to try to rush capital places where they can get greater returns and the inflationary component. So you have that component. Then you have the FOMO, you have the fear of missing out where people are seeing crazy returns. So it, it just drives people to go in. Then you have the fact that people are, are well, for a good portion of the year, people were locked up doing nothing at home. So what they have, they just had what they just, they could trade and watch other people making money. So that drove them towards it. You know, so, and then going back to the, uh, that the outlook of things going down, we are, you can make an argument that we are in a very much in a stagflation environment where you have inflationary conditions with a, a overall global economy that's stagnating, that can't really grow anymore. And that typically follows suit with a deflationary environment where things start collapsing. So, and it, it aligns a lot with, um, with um, Ray Dalio's 100-year debt cycle, which we're near the top of a 100-year debt cycle, and it follows off with a decline after. So, you know, the, the, the important thing is being aware of these things, and it's our job now to make sure that we follow what's going on on a macro level, making sure that, we, that we're aligned with whatever comes at us. Well, it's interesting you, you're, you're saying this, Nick. I, I think that a large portion of the North American population either doesn't understand or doesn't want to understand what's going on because it's so fun right now. I mean, look, is there still COVID? Yes. I'm spending a lot of time in, in New York. Are there masks? Yes, but nobody talks about it. It's mentally, it's going away. But people are having so much fun but they don't want to get back to the reality of what's actually going on right now. I mean, you, you go to restaurants here, 
packed. Can't get a table. Can't get a reservation. You, you know, my, my office, I'm the only floor in the building that has people in it. Everywhere else is dead. So it's like, okay, so the restaurants are packed, but nobody's going to the office. Everybody's working from home. Everyone's making more money than they should. Like, what the hell's going on here? Right? I spend half my day thinking about it. Makes me, I, I, I get anxiety from this. But everyone else is waking up at 10 and, you know, doing their work and their boss is scared they're going to quit. So they give them a raise. I mean, guys, this isn't normal. Like we, we need to realize that this is going to end. And when it ends, don't pretend that you didn't know what was going on because everyone to a certain point now is educated enough to realize that we're having a party and the music's going to get shut off with the click of a button. I mean, I'd love to be ignorant to this, but I, I can't. I mean, I, I'm too late. this. It's too late now. Yeah. Too late. We're, There's no we're, going back. We're, we're, we're definitely in a position now too, where it's almost like there's all this sort of revenge travel or revenge. Like I need to go out or I need to go to a bar. Or so, you know, that whole idea that like people are just forgetting, okay, what, what did the government actually do? Right. It, it, to me, this feels like a coordinated uh, attack on what, what is later coming, which is basically, um, I, I, again, I don't want to be ominous, but the, it's just, these are cycles. These happen all the time. We're, and anybody that says, hey, it's different this time is totally wrong. So I do see that there's a bubble in crypto, but you know, if you're going to ride the wave, you might as well ride it. But I want to ask you just one last question. I mean, because this is, this is just one of those things where, especially millennials or Gen Zs that they just don't understand. What, what was the value that you got from, and I'm going to, I don't know any other way to say this, but what was the value of you basically eating shit? And what do I mean by that? Well, in the trenches, doing phone calls, like what did you take away that like somebody who is on social media all day promoting all this stuff is never really going to understand? Um, you learn, can I swear on this show? Sure. I do. You learn to be told to go fuck yourself and that thickens your skin. And I think that millennials and Gen Z weren't told that enough. I've been being told that since I was 16 when I was walking around trying to convince people to show up to my, my nightclub party. I've been told that forever. So when I started doing it, it was just bigger volume, but I've been used to it. I think that eating shit is important. Of course, you don't want to eat shit for your whole life, but I work for my customers. That's my job. My job is to make sure that they're happy. And without customers, you have no business. Let's, you can have the best product in the world. You could be the smartest guy in the world. If you don't take care of your customers, they don't take care of you. You need to go out and get beaten up a little bit. You have to get punched in the face. And I don't mean literally. I mean, you need to call people and, tell, and they're going to tell you, F off. We're not buying. We're not buying. We're not buying. And if you push enough and you add enough value, they will work with you, but it takes a long time. And I think that this generation, and I'm, I'm part of it too. I'm, I'm just really lucky to be put in a position where I learned this early on. It's really hard to do well in the world. It's not easy. It's not a given. There's long nights. You're stressed. Your hair is going to go or turn gray. Or if you're lucky, you know, you'll just get these dark circles like me. You got to get punched in the face to get good. You got to do what everybody else is not willing to do. And if you do that, you will be successful. If you don't do that, you probably won't 
grow as a person and you'll stay where you are for a long time. I, I get, I get so fired up when I hear that because I think, I mean, I'm not trying to brag here, but like I've been eating shit for a long time and it's, if anything, it's given me thicker skin. You know, you know what that is when you call, when you call, call a client or a prospect and they tell you, Hey, go fuck yourself. I'm not interested. You know what that feels like. I've had that happen so many times now. It, it doesn't even affect me, but when you start, it affects you because you've grown up in this society where it's like, Oh, participation medals. It's okay. Tap on the back cozy. You'll be fine. You know the, what I mean? The, so the safe takes, space desire. Yeah. It takes, honestly, it took me a while to kind of just grasp that and be like, dude, like stop fucking complaining just fucking do it you know and like i feel like we're at a point now where like that doesn't even phase you anymore it's kind of just like all right well on to the next one type thing i'm just gonna you know keep being persistent in that look no one's coming to save you let's be honest in in this world no one's gonna save you you gotta do it yourself you gotta be your own man or woman or whatever um that's that's the only thing you 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 want something in life you, you got to go for it and you can plan and methodically think and discuss but at some point pick up the phone pick it up and dial at least in in my business that's what it is yeah. if you're willing to do that you'll succeed but you need to do it and you need to do it more than everyone else and you need to you know have the passion and even if it's not fun make yourself think it's fun train your brain force yourself and it's hard and it takes years. But if you want to succeed in business, you got to eat shit. Be prepared to. I mean, I have friends who are almost 30 who get anxious if they have to call their dentist to change the appointment. <laughs> they get anxiety. Like, guys, come on. Really? Like, how are you going to, like, how are you going to function? What if a problem happens? What if the economy slows down? Right. What if you lose your job? Like I, I look, and I'm, I'm not a person who is going to hate on millennials or say Gen Z is this, and I'm not going to stereotype. And I think every generation complains about the one that's upcoming. So I've just like noticed that, by the way. it's always going to be like that, yeah. but it's my turn to complain. So I'll <laughs> complain. And I just think that people need to realize the world is not a very happy and smiley place and it can get very dark, very fast. We're just been very fortunate to grow up in a world that, I mean, I grew up past 2008. When I was 13, it happened. It didn't affect me financially. I didn't even really remember what was going on. Me neither. I mean, that was the end of the world. Like p- people don't understand what was about to happen. I didn't. I haven't seen that my whole teenage and adult life, but it can get real scary real fast. And I think that people need to realize that it's not all TikTok and Instagram and it can get really bad. So man up. I, I love it, man. Like this is this is a good this is a good way to end this conversation. I know that you're not so active on social media, so yeah. um, even though even though people are probably listening right now saying, "Hey, like where can where can the listeners find find you, Josh?" Particularly on on, on social media, are you are you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, am I active? LinkedIn is the best way to reach me. Um, nice. We are hiring pretty uh, pretty aggressively for sales roles, um, some operations roles as well. Um, if you check out my LinkedIn, uh, you'll be able to find all the information, but we're looking for some young talent, um, guys and girls who are hungry, who are looking to make, you know, uncapped commissions. Um, we've got some young guys doing super well, young girls doing super well. Um, and we're, we really believe in investing in our, in our team and in our people. I would love for my employees to stay with me day one and retire with us. That would be a dream for me. Of course, it's not happened for everyone, 
but that is my, I guess, mission. If I, if I had to, to define my personal mission would be to help people build their careers because I was there. I was, you know, 18, 19. I didn't know what I was doing. I had to figure it out. If I had someone to give me a bit of guidance, that would be great. Um, so we're, we're looking to do that. We're looking to work with young people uh, who are hungry, who are passionate and who want to learn about trading, want to learn about sales. Um, that's, that's really what we're looking for. So if you're looking, hit me up directly. I usually answer. That's awesome, dude. Well, look, thank, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I know that uh, moving forward, the trenches are only going to get tougher, but it's only going to make it's only going to make you and the guys around you or the gals around you a bunch stronger, right? So we really appreciate you coming on here today, man. Makes it more fun, mm-hmm. depending on the day. <laughs> All right, guys. All right. Thanks well, so much for listening. Thanks, Josh. Next time. I appreciate it, guys. Take care. Ciao, guys. See ya.